Hi, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. I'll be joined by League of Ireland winners Ollie Cahill and Graham Gartland later on to review the weekend's domestic action as well as previewing the start of the Irish clubs' European adventures. Shamrock Rovers against Hibernians of Malta is live on RT2 and the RT Player from 7 o'clock on Tuesday. And then Sligo Rovers and Derry City also have Conference League qualifiers on Thursday. In between those, on Wednesday, the Women's Euro kicks off and we have live coverage of all 31 games, starting with the opening game between England and Austria on Wednesday from 7.30pm on RT2 and the RT Player. Among our list of pundits is Louise Quinn, Ireland defender, and last week at the launch of RT's coverage, she spoke to me about Ireland's World Cup campaign. You'll be able to find that on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. But the second half of the interview with Louise Quinn, you're about to hear it now. She's going to run through the contenders and also the players to watch at the tournament and also the importance of the tournament in terms of visibility. So here is Ireland defender Louise Quinn. Um, yeah, so now we kind of get to, to watch on in the tournament again. I think, you know, everyone's going to be, as we were saying, it's just such, a, it's such an exciting group of teams to be able to watch but again yeah we'll definitely be kind of doing our, our bit of homework and I think that's it we all love to play the game but then we love you know love watching it and then there's especially some of us who are you know love kind of the coaching or analyzing side of it as well so you're going to look that little bit deeper into yeah into how they're playing but yeah I'm definitely going to be you know doing my homework on the you know on the on the fins and then obviously potentially um you know we can we can do a job there yeah uh, before we kind of drill down into the teams and what you expect and some of the tactical trends uh, just on the aspect of visibility it's something lisa fallon spoke to us on the podcast last week that it you know we we had coverage of the 2019 world cup at the time i think tg car also had coverage and i like anecdotally people i worked with people i knew um you know family members everyone was sitting down and watching those games and this is another opportunity again to have these games in front of everyone's eyes so i guess from for yourself as well um we all want to see the game progress like this is a hugely important and pivotal moment yeah that's it and it's i think just making making it the game visible to to as many people as we can is 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 the way forward and just giving that platform um again as i, as I was kind of saying it's it's literally just being given the opportunity, um, you know, let people see the game, let people decide if they if they like football, if they like women's football. And and it's OK if they don't, to be honest, we all have we all have our things we like and don't like. But I think just giving that opportunity to put it out there and, you know, it's it's just been yeah really special. And even yesterday, just, you know, literally straight off landing off the plane and, you know, people then noticing being like oh yeah watch the game last night good stuff you know and people who have never never spoken to probably never met before just still saying oh yeah well done in the game saw that and that's been happening now for the last you know solidly now for the last two three years especially in Ireland and that's something that's you know brilliant to me and then that's you're in you're in a taxi and you're you're talking you're talking football with the you know the taxi driver who had it on for a quick few minutes before he had to head out and you know that's it means a lot, um, you know, to kind of for them just to be able to see, you know, the talent that, or you know, is that's that's in Ireland, and now they're going to be able to see it again on a on a European stage, and um, just that that opportunity for for people to be given a chance to, yeah, see tournament football. I think again, everyone just loves a good tournament and loves to to watch these things and jump on the bandwagon and and choose a team that you want to follow for, you know, for the tournament. And 
I think it really just kind of brings brings everything together and yeah it'll be it'll give them a chance to see kind of the the quality that we you know kind of play week in week out in on a on a league basis but then as a yeah again when you're playing then international it's uh it'll be a bit different but it's um it's it's just huge and it's it's this whole thing of yeah you know you need to you need to see it to be it can't see can't be from from 2020 and it's 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 honestly the some of the truest the truest words and something that i really really stick by um and yeah so for kind of for the again for the irish public to be given that opportunity i think is is huge to to grow the sport yeah and the quality of teams they're going to see is pretty unbelievable i mean in terms of depth there's like six or seven teams i think realistically that probably will look at it and think they have a have a great chance even from the opening game england against the 2017 uh, semi-finalists austria but um does it kind of just show because i know uh, back in the day it was sort of germany sort of dominated as they do in a lot of sports obviously they won it six times in a row but lots of other countries have caught up and even in some cases overtaken so does it just show the development that's been happening across europe yeah, absolutely. I think you know you're you're really looking at the the strong hitters of the Netherlands, Germany, France, Sweden, Spain. Um, you know, obviously, I had my yeah, and, and Norway as well that we that we are obviously putting forward there as well. Who've always been very consistent, but now they they have just an extra edge of I think some of the quality players that they that they bring. But you know, then even just kind of the next tier down, as you say, Austria. Uh, Belgium, Italy, um, you know, you can you can just keep going. It's it's going to be incredibly hard to kind of, as I say, the group stages. I think will be won't be as straightforward as as we think. Um, you know, these sort of teams as well, Finland as well. They, you know, they know how to they know how to get results and they know how to perform and and you know make it hard for teams. Now, I think that's something that maybe even international football has brought. You know, you don't have too much time to tactically go through too many things you're with you're with each other for such a short time but I think what players are doing obviously at their clubs you're then able to implement you know a lot of that stuff that you know and and people you're able to just catch on quicker and that's again that's down to the quality of coaching that's that's coming in so people know how to to manage games manage game better frustrate teams and and yeah and then I think you know counter-attacking football is is actually kind of the trend now and kind of cool and I think even that's something that that Liverpool have brought in you know kind of press from the front but then if they can't they'll sit back and then they'll you know they'll counter attack with counter attack with their top three players so um you know that was kind of seen as you know parking the bus was kind of seen as not not playing football um whereas then I you can see now that it's actually a massive part of it and it can be done beautifully and and incredible to watch and with just such speed and um yeah, so I think some of the, I think we may, you know, you may hit a few surprises, but, you know, you're obviously hoping that, you know, some most of the top teams are going to come out and it's, you know, going to be kind of a, yeah, juicy, juicy quarterfinals and stuff like that. Yeah, um, you mentioned uh, the tax, a few tactical trends there in terms of counter-pressing. Um, you know, Ireland played the back three and it seems to be sort of popular in the game now and has been for probably this past decade. It's been part of it. Do you expect to see a lot of that during this tournament? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it gives just massive um, flexibility, I think, to, to how the game is played. I think when you're playing a, a back three, obviously you can, and if it is just a back three at times, it gives obviously a lot more numbers to go forward. Um, but then, as you say, a, a 
that can then it very easily reverts into a into a back five. A lot of people do it differently. You can sometimes drop the kind of defensive midfielder in if you need to, you know, sometimes keep the other if the wing if the winger has um you know gone too high. So it, there is a lot of there's a lot of different ways of of doing it, but it just gives um you know again the wing backs who I think at the moment in the women's game it's that's something that's you know really apparent you want to give give them a lot of freedom and a lot of space you know how we try to give um you know Casey and and even in that game there Jessu a lot of players who just have you know so much talent and speed and just kind of complete natural on the ball um you know you're going to kind of want that again um from that and you, you know you see it again in England they don't uh, or they kind of yeah they have been sometimes playing a back five as well. And that's it. You want to leave space for Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly, Beth Mead. Um, you want to give them kind of the, the freedom of the pitch and the same Lucy bronze. Um, you know, so they, they, we, everyone has kind of their different ways, but I just, I really enjoy kind of the flexibility of a back three or a back five. Um, you know, and then it kind of makes, uh, gives the, the central midfielders are defensive or kind of the two number tens, they got to kind of be in pockets. It's it's they can be small spaces, but it's actually probably the hardest to to mark. So if you can really nail down your role in in the team, um, you know, kind of positioning wise, I think it's I think it's a it's a kind of great formation. Yeah, you mentioned the group stage is probably going to be quite tricky. England's group group kind of looks that way, but um, is it fair to say Group B is probably like the group of death, and somebody a big hitter is going to go out fairly early. Yeah, listen, and that's actually that's a team we haven't, you know, overly mentioned at the moment as well is is Denmark. And again, they've, you know, we're in the in the Euros finals the last time. Obviously, you know, Pernilla Harder is the, you know, is is a real kind of standout there. But again, that would be for me, that is looking like, you know, the toughest group. I think Finland, they're not going to they're not going to bow down too easy. Um you know, and it's going to be extremely hard though to pick the top two that are coming out of that. So I think Germany are a team that have gone through massive transition at the moment. Um, and but I think just as of recently, and even talking to a couple of girls that are in Germany, I think they seem to feel like that they've kind of found, you know, found their feet a little bit. And then with that experience of how many times they've won it, um, you know, they know they know how to they know how to manage a tournament, they know how to um you know, kind of takes the the waves and the the peaks and troughs that kind of come come with football. But again, they know how to do it. They've they've experienced it. They've been, you know, been there before. So again, it's going to be, you know, extremely strong. But I think maybe just because they might be going through a slight transitional moment, I think people are ruling them out. But again, you know, you can't. But for me, that is it's a that is a really, really tasty group going on there. And um yeah, it's a shame that only two can kind of come out of it, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's that famous Gary Lineker quote as well about Germany that 22 players go onto the pitch and in the end <laughs> the Germans win. It's kind of changed, obviously, as you said there, obviously with the transition. But before I let you go, I suppose finally, um, just in terms of your tournament pick, uh, in terms of more more in terms of a dark horse, and then also the player to watch out for that maybe people aren't necessarily talking about because as you, you mentioned, a few of the big names, the Ada Hagerbergs, etc. I think everyone you know there's expectation on them, but there are probably kind of younger emerging talents that uh, will be interesting to see um yeah so i think maybe i think one to watch um you know she's already she has already kind of made made a name for herself in england but lauren hemp 
Um, you know, she was nominated. I think I even nominated her twice this year for Young Player of the Year and Player of the Year because you just you can't really, you couldn't really pick which one she should or shouldn't have, to be honest. And she's just she's been incredible um in you know in her season this year and then even again watching watching them play the Netherlands um a few days ago she's just one of the most difficult players to play against so for me I think she's going to be you know one of the most exciting players um that you know needs to definitely need to keep an eye out for her um I'm going to maybe say I could even say I'm unsure. I suppose it could be a dark horse, but I am going to say that maybe Norway are the dark horse. I think they're just quietly going along, doing their, doing their business, and um, again the the talent that they, yeah, that they possess, um, you know, and, and squad depth and experience, um, you know, is is huge, um, yeah. And then <laughs> who's going to win? This is the question. Um, wow. I still, I'm still always going to push, and I know they maybe didn't have a, yeah, a great game a few days ago, but I just still just think the Netherlands, again, what they, what they may possess, if you can obviously guess, uh, Vivian Miedema kind of ticking. They now have Danielle van der Donk back from back from injury. Um, yeah, well, actually, no, I maybe I'm going to go Sweden. Actually, they're in our group. I think the quality they have. I think the loss of you know the Olympics. Um, I think they again. I think they just know how to win games. Um, I just think how they tactically set up, and again, I think they frustrate teams and stop other teams from doing what they do well, and then kind of you know catch on the bounce the the speed of players they have up top, like Blackstenius. Um, you know, is she's going to be she's going to be huge, and obviously Rolfo, um, as well, who plays for Barcelona again, just kind of key players that they'll that they'll want to to keep fit and um you know they have they have everything they've strength and speed so I think they're just gonna be very hard to handle. So I'm I'm gonna go Sweden now. Yeah well whoever whoever wins it will definitely deserve it anyway given the, the quality of teams. But uh, Louise Quinn we're gonna be seeing you on our screens on RT2 and RT player across July. So thanks a million for taking the time and enjoy it. Lovely. Thanks. Rob. All right. So that is Louise Quinn speaking to me at the launch of RT's coverage of the tournament. That launch, we were also joined by Lisa Fallon and also Ireland manager Vera Pau. On Friday, Vera Pau released a statement alleging that she was raped as a young player in the Netherlands. She also detailed how she has tried to have her case heard by the football authorities in the Netherlands, but has not received a satisfactory response and has now decided to report her allegations to Dutch police. On Saturday, the Dutch Football Association stated that they were shocked when they learned of her traumatic experiences as a young player and said that they were sorry that she did not experience a safe working environment and for the impact that this has caused her. If you're affected by any of the issues raised, contact details for the Rape Crisis Centre are 1-800-77-8888 by telephone and by text at 086-823-8443. We'll be back very shortly. All right, welcome back to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm joined by Graham Gartland and Ollie Cahill, which is again uh, for the first time since earlier in the season, a bit of a draw to United uh, reunion here. And also, uh, speaking of which, um, I think uh, just off air there, um, Graham was discussing being in Turkey um, over the last week or so, where it's extremely hot, but also draw to United having some sort of connection with Trabzonspor, the current uh, the current champions of Turkey. So, how did you get on over there? 
Yeah, it was grand. Actually, it was probably the first time I was back. We went on a pre-season to Turkey in 2005. Uh, the first year we all went full-time at Trotterday. And we went over in February or late January. And, um, oh, Jays, it was the toughest pre-season we've ever done in my life. It was, and I've done pre-seasons in Scotland that were just runs. But I think Paul had us doing three sessions a day over there. It was ridiculous. Like, But it was the first time I was back. It was really nice. It was just, I think there was a heat wave going throughout Europe. It was ridiculously hot. But it gave you a good idea what probably Rovers are going to face when they go to Malta with that type of heat over there. Um, so it, it was interesting. It was just really, really. It was in the late thirties every every day, which was couldn't stick some of it at, at some stage. I had to go into the shade a little bit, which was. Um, but it's a good complaint to have, I suppose. Yeah, certainly. Before we get to the European games, we'll just run through what's happening domestically in the clubs that are not playing in Europe. So, uh, first off, anyway, in the Premier Division on Friday. Bohemians lost 3-2 to Derry City. Derry are in European action. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. Dundalk beat UCD 3-0. St. Pat's beat Drada United 3-0. Finn Harps lost 1-0 at home to Shamrock Rovers. Gaffney with the goal there. Crucial in terms of making sure they have a bit of a cushion before the European campaign begins. And then Sligo Rovers, also in Europe, beat Shelburne 3-1 on Saturday. Now, we'll start with Dundalk because they're obviously not involved in European action. And let's listen to Stephen O'Donnell first. He was speaking to Ushin Langan. How good was it for David McMillan to get his first of the season? Hasn't had as much game time as perhaps he would want. And for strikers, they desperately want goals. And I suppose as, as his coach, you want him to get goals. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, only, that's the reason that it's his first goal of the season is because he hasn't had enough game time to score anymore. He's been fleeting with a few minutes here and there. So... Great for Dave, he started last week, that would have brought him on and started again tonight and a great finish, Swivel with his left peg, um, you know, a really good finish, so that's good for him and as I said, the only reason he's on a bit of a drought is probably he hasn't got enough game time. And for Keith and Greg, and I spoke to Greg, he said the second goal was his, it's their first goals of the season as well, how good is that? Um, yeah, it's great, great for Ward, especially being a more of an offensive player to score, but he's affected loads of games. Uh, giving us that creative spark and Greg's, Greg's been brilliant especially the last couple of months really you know really playing the way his athleticism and his power um, suggests and you know he's really been dominating in midfield and been a, a tour de force so even though it's trickled over the line on the line it's great for him to get on the score sheet Patrick wasn't involved tonight Patrick Hoobin um, how big a loss is he when he's not involved what does he add to the team he's a very good player like any time you don't have very good players involved they're going to be big losses but we have other good players but look Patrick's been brilliant in a little bit of a more refined role this season but you know I think he's actually showcasing more how much of a good footballer he is People might associate him with being a good target man, strong and you know a goal scorer, but he can play as well. He can drop off the game and link up to play and switch points of attack. So he's been great this season. We're looking forward to welcoming him back in the near future. Do you have a time frame? Not time uh, hopefully frame? he'll be back involved training next week. Okay. Uh, Mark Connolly started tonight. Am I to assume from that that his period at the club has been extended, or what's the situation? No, that that was the initial loan agreement. So we'll see how that pans out. Open secret. We're looking to keep Mark. But it has to be like all parties have to be on the same page. So we're, we're, we're very keen to keep hold of them. But as I said, it's not just our decision. We're trying our level best to keep hold of them. And then we'll see where that takes us. How important is it that you keep a hold of them? Uh, crucial. I don't think we've conceded now in four, over, I don't know, 400 and something minutes. Um, so that's testament to the whole team. But obviously he's been a big part of it. And he himself played well. Sam and himself have played very well. 
Sam and Andy have played well when they've played. Brian's come in and played well. So everyone's played well uh, when they've played in, in those positions. But, you know, when we signed them originally, could we have taught Anton more or asked Anton more of them from a performance point of view? No. He's been he's been uh, around the club, quality on the pitch and off the pitch. He's been top drawer. Cheers, Stephen. Thank you. All right, so that's Stephen O'Donnell, Dundalk manager, speaking to Oshin Langan after the 3-0 win over UCD. Ollie, um, we'll, we'll talk about the defensive side a little bit later on, but... In terms of them coming off the back of a nil-nil draw with Shelburne, where you know before that game there had been talk of a possible title push, and then obviously points dropped. Shamrock Rovers actually capture momentum. The fact that they've you know got the job done against UCD at home, as would have been expected, it's obviously sort of a little boost for them now as they go into this period where some of the teams around them are going to be involved in Europe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they still have two games in hand of, of Rovers as well. So um, even though we know we all know Stevie and, and everyone else, there's playing down the fact that they, you know, their their title push as such. But you know, if they win those couple of games in hand, and um, there's only four points in it, and I suppose you're saying we all know how strong they are defensively. But big positives for them is Dave McMillan scoring and Keith Ward scoring as well. And as he mentioned, Greg claiming that goal too. But uh, I think it was McMillan's first league goal in, in nearly a year. Um, so that that's a huge positive for him. You know, Davey's been a he's a he's a great pro. You know, obviously had a had a bad injury, but um, you know, it, it's great for them to get Dave back on the score sheet, especially with with Huben and uh, missing. Obviously, Huben is a is a huge part of, of what they're doing up there. But you know, if they can keep chipping in with goals, added to that uh, defensive side of things, which which they have, I think Shepherd has ten clean sheets now, not just down to him, as I say, that the people in front of him, they're working hard. It sounds like to extend that that Connolly loan deal, which would be crucial for them as well. So. Yeah, I think they'll be they'll be very happy with the position they're in, as you say, coming into this period now where other teams are going to be playing in Europe that are around them. And um, so they'll be looking to, you know, keep pushing on their front and grab a couple of wins while the others are in European action and, and you know, be right there for the for the final push into the end of the season. And Graham, just in that clip there, obviously Stephen O'Donnell was referencing Mark Connolly, uh, centre-back, who is on loan from Dundee United. And obviously when we look at their defensive stats, five clean sheets in a row, obviously he'd like to keep that structure between goalkeeper and also those um, centre-backs together. Um, how impressed have you been by Connolly and um, how important is it to make sure he stays at the club, at least for the remainder of the season? Yeah, I, I feel him and Shepard are vital for them as well. I think they struggled last year goalkeeper-wise. Um, they didn't know how they were coming home um, with, with who was playing in goal. I think Cherry was in sometimes and then they chop and change with the lad they brought in as well. So uh, I think to have a permanent goalkeeper makes a massive difference. Connolly's been a bit of a mainstay for them as well. And, and centre-back Gartland's come in. Um, I know he played at Talley. And then obviously Boyle comes in as well. So once you once you have a permanent centre back that knows how to how the back four functions and can talk and organise and keep them right and, and organise the midfielders in front of you to make sure that they're in a good shape. Um, Stevie's done really well this year with them. He, he's come in and made them really solid, and then um, they've ground out results to start. And now that they're on a bit of momentum where they can win games, but they'd be disappointed they didn't uh, win the Shells game and keep that momentum going. And you'd expect them to beat UCD. I probably would have expected them to be shelved then off the back of the beat Rovers. So um, they are dogged. They are going to be tough to beat. The home record is is really, really strong. I think it's the strongest in the division. So if they can keep that going and then try and pick up as many points away from home, they're hoping to do that and try and challenge. They might just fall a little bit short, but they're obviously going to be in contention for the cup 
uh, this season and obviously then pushing to make sure that they get into Europe, which I think they, they, I think they're nailed on to do at this point. Yeah, and uh, St. Pat's then, I mean, they beat Drada United 3-0 and uh, Billy King with the first goal and then the two Doyles later on, Owen, and then Mark Doyle with a crack and finish at the end. But Ollie, in terms of Billy King's form, because um, earlier in the season there weren't too many goals, but now in the last three games, three goals, like what have you made of his performances? Yeah, he's he's key for them. Um, and he could be even more important, um, obviously, with the with Dara Burns situation as well. So it's... Um, yeah, he's huge for them. And look, it was it was a big win for them on the back of, you know, two disappointing results. And I suppose a big positive that they look at as well. You know, they conceded two late goals up in Harps when it looks like they had the, the game won. For them to score late on, you know, the game was 1-0 still in the balance. Um, for them to score two goals late on, I'm sure Tim Clancy would be delighted with that as well. But yeah, like I said, the, the input from, from Billy King is, is huge for them. He's When he's on it, he's, he's a handful. He's, he's quality. On Doyle is... is Popping up with a few goals as well. Now I think he's got nine, so second highest goal scorer in the, in the league. And say Mark Doyle had a great finish as well. So they'll be delighted with that win. Draw their tough opponents, tricky. I think in the second half there, it was had a couple of chances where you know it could have gone either way, but for them to come out on top with, with that Trina win, and say especially on the back of the two disappointing results before that, um, Tim would be delighted. Yeah, and you say looking for more of the same in the coming weeks. Yeah, and Graham, just as Ollie said there, obviously, um, as we talk about Billy King's good form, it's coming at a time where Dar Burns looks like he's on the way out. And we were talking about it on last week's podcast where it was obviously the first move was likely to be to the UK. But if that didn't happen, Shamrock Rovers were waiting in the wings. As it happens, it looks like it's MK Dons and uh, their manager, Liam Manning, look like they're going to get him let's maybe just talk about him first um and a club like mk dons it seems like it's a good place for him having seen some of the irish lads who were there last season yeah it does like and, and in fairness they'll probably suit the style of play that they, they play over there the they, they, mk dons like to get it down and play and it'll suit Dara because he won't be overly reliant on his physicality then um Ollie, Ollie touched on him when we were on the show the last time about how tricky he is and how explosive then he can be and you, if he backs you into the box, you can't really touch him as a defender. You can't throw out a leg because he'll chop you. Um, but he's done really well. Listen, he, he came into the into the team, I think, last season. And by the middle of the season, he was a, he was ever present. And he's done really well in the cup final as well for them. So um, he's, he's, he's been excellent. And he's, he's hit the ground running again this season. And it's no surprise that somebody's come in to try and take him. And it's, um, like you said, people turn around and say he's gone to League One. And, but... Like the the industry, the industry on football over there. Like you, you see what happened to Luke Man- McNally. He goes and does really well for the season at Oxford, the season and a half, and then um, Burnley come in and take him. You know, does the the, the the path up ways is probably easier once you're over there, um, than probably coming out of this league to go to go straight into a Premiership team or a Championship team. So, um, he's obviously mapped out his path and. Um, it looks like MK Dons are the ones that are going to benefit from another another good young Irish player going up, going over there. Yeah, and the fee, I think it's in the region of 200000 and with sell-on clause as well, which is important because we, we might talk about Gavin Bazunu, who's back. Club Kevin's, yeah. his, club, yeah. his club Kevin's then get, get a lot of um, for the development fee as well, don't they? So yeah. that's really important. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I suppose, uh, Ollie, in terms of like obviously losing players from the league and obviously for Pats as well, you know, that's obviously disappointing. But the importance, if this is a pathway that does sort of happen, that at least there is some level of compensation. Yeah, yeah. And I think obviously Dara's contract would have been up at the end of the season and all. So they're probably looking at it going 
can we get some can we get more for them maybe not you know if they, they risk losing them at the end of the season and um, say they could have lost them to rovers um as well so you know it was it was a tricky situation they were in but yeah look once I think Graham touched on it there. It's the industry that they have in England compared to what we have here. If you're trying to build something here and, you know, build an industry and then, you know, looking after young players properly and tying them down on long-term deals. And then when you're selling them on, then you can demand your three, four, five hundred thousand um, for, for the players. And then it's going back into the clubs and back into football here. And you're able to build on, on things then. I think for too long, it was kind of, Oh yeah, just you're losing them to England and you get, you know, a few quid here and there. But you know, say to build a proper industry and to be trying well, one trying to hold on to our best talent, but two, if they do go, then you're getting properly compensated for them. Um, that's key. And look at something that you know everyone clubs and stuff are, are aware of here. And you know, I suppose the FAI and looking at, you know, they, they've mentioned this numerous times as well, trying to build a proper industry. Um, you know, that's that's where we need to get to. Um, but look, it's I said for Dara, it does look like a decent move, as Graham said. And, you know, it looks like um, MK Dons are, are linked with a few more here as well. And, you know, they, they, they're looking at the talent here that, that's available and going, these these boys are, are good players, really good players. They've got a good ground and they're playing senior football, first team football. Some of them have maybe played in Europe in previous years as well and stuff. So that that's huge for them going over there. Um into into you know proper professional setups here that they're used to it here and uh, clubs in England can still get bargains and you know and, and as Graham's mentioned again there Luke McNally look look what can happen I say when I when I was playing as well I think back to Wes Hoolan and he went to Livingston in Scotland and they weren't I think they were the first division at the time and people were going oh, that's a bit of a strange move but see the pathway he took to where he where he finished his his career and you know so it's you know it's you know that that's that's the way it is. But until we build things here, you know that it's still going to continue like that. Players will want to go to England, UK, and Scotland or whatever. But say once we're getting properly compensated here, and then the money can go back in, and we're continually building things here, then you know that's that's a positive. Yeah, and Dawson Devoy of Bohemians being one of those players who's been linked uh, specifically with MK Dons, I think as far back as January, and then it seems to be again, but uh, at least form for Bowes, he's been playing well, but they have lost, uh, for the, for the first time actually this season, lost two games in a row, losing to Derry City at home, and it's sort of a, like a pattern of their form where um, they, haven't, they haven't actually even won two games in a row this season, it's sort of like a lot of ups and downs for them, um, which makes those games against Drada and UCD that are coming up way more important. Let's listen to Keith Long, who was talking about the future and the need for improvement. He was chatting to Eric White after that Derry City game. And Keith, I know you've got three new players coming in. Are you confident that you're not far away from you know things clicking for you still this season, that you can still have a strong second half to the campaign? Because I suppose that the gap has stretched a wee bit further again tonight on those well, teams ahead of you? It, it has, absolutely. And we've given ourselves absolutely a mountain to climb to try and you know get, get up the table. So it's... Um, it's not been good enough this year from us, unfortunately. And um, you, you know, as manager, I'm responsible for that. So um, uh, you know, we have to. We've been busy to try and reinforce the squad, to try and bolster the squad, to get better players in, to get more experience in. We try to do that. We can't put too much on um, pressure on the new players coming in to automatically click because it will take time. Um, you know, for them to come in, obviously from the traditional season into into our summer season and where the commas because um, you know they, they're in. Uh, off-season mode or pre-season mode now uh, so it might take a, a number of games for them to fully find their legs and uh, get fully up to speed so um, but I suppose it's recognition 
bringing those new players in, those those players in that we have to try and strengthen the squad if we possibly can in this window. It does take a couple of windows to try and build the squad. We're able to offer longer term contracts, so hopefully there's a little bit more stability around us, and hopefully we can we we need to improve. We need to get better. We can't concede the goals that we conceded because. Every team has a chance against us at this moment in time, um, and I, 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 you know, and we've got to we've got to make sure that we, we we do better because we we need to start keeping some clean sheets. If we do that, we give ourselves a platform to try and climb the table, to try and win games. Um, but ultimately, we got done tonight um, because because we conceded some really really uh, poor goals. Right, so that's Bohemians manager Keith Long after that three-two defeat at Derry City. As I said, that's the first time this season they've lost two in a row, and also they haven't actually managed to win two games in a row yet this season. But they do have UCD and Drada United coming up, both potentially tricky games. Though Graham, I suppose it for them, it's for Bohemians, it's massively important now to because they they're not in danger of going down, and they seem to be a little bit cast adrift from you know battling for Europe. So it's important for them to try and get some momentum, at least climb back up the table now. Yeah, they seem to just be floating, don't they, a little bit, where, like you said, they're not in danger of going down. There's no pressure on them in that sense, but they're, they're seven points off, fifth place Sligo at the minute. Um, I thought Keith was very honest there about, like, they, they lack consistency, they lack um, they lack experience. Like, there's not there's not enough continuity in the squad and that they keep changing every year. The, the lads that they're coming in, you hopefully they make an impact. Even the things like, oh, we're able to offer longer current contracts now. Like that, that was that was very telling as well that they weren't able to tie down players before. Um, he's obviously able to do that now. But the other thing that he says is that they, they give up too many chances, you know, and, and it opposite to Dundalk at the minute. Dundalk have just become in and being solid, and then the team grows confidence from the fact you keep clean sheets. But it's the opposite for for um, Bowers. If he's saying that we feel like we, we give up a chance, that that always gives confidence to the other team. No matter how bad the other team is playing, they feel that do you know what these will give us a chance. We have a chance to get into the game. And if a team is playing well against you, they go listen. We'll win this game because we'll score more than them. And that's what they're done at the weekend. Can't expect to win a game if you're conceding three goals at home. And I think if he can shore up defensively, do you have enough attacking players in Bort Coote? I know they brought in John Sullivan now as well. And um, they have enough attacking players. Promises a handful, um, really exciting young player. They have enough attacking players, but if you can just be defensively a little bit more solid, they'll win more games than they lose. Yeah, we'll talk about the teams that are directly involved in Europe a little bit later on. So Shamrock Rovers, Derry City and Sligo Rovers. But let's just chat about the first division first. Um, on Friday night, Wexford beat Athlone 3-1. Galway United beat Waterford 1-0. That's a huge result there. Cove Ramblers 0, Treaty United 2. And then Bray Wanderers 1, Cork City 3. So Cork City at the moment, four points clear of Galway United. And then Galway Galway themselves are seven clear of Waterford, uh, who are further five clear of Longford. And then at the bottom, of course, Cove, Ram- Cove Ramblers and that Lone Town sort of cast adrift from Bray Wanderers, who themselves are a little bit adrift of Treaty United. So the table's a little bit broken up. But uh, Ollie, in terms of that first division table, obviously Cork City have a little bit of momentum now and that little bit of a gap. But in terms of Galway giving them giving themselves a chance of possibly fighting for that automatic promotion place, it was vital for them to beat Waterford, who also had got themselves back in with a shout. Yeah, yeah, Waterford had been on a good run, but it was a huge win for Galway, I suppose, especially on the back of losing to Longford as well, um, the, the game previous. So it's still tight. There's only four points in it um, between Cork and Galway. 
you're probably looking at it going, it is a two-horse race. I know Waterford have a game in hand. Um, they could be four points behind Galway then if, if they win that. So you wouldn't write them off yet, but it looks like Cork and Galway between the two of them. The rest, yeah, look, Waterford is been on a good run. Um, probably disappointed to lose up in Galway. Longford are there. Wexford, who I spoke about that on one of the, the podcasts as well, hanging in there, doing, doing okay. Um, in that last playoff spot there as well. So it'd be interesting outside of that. But um, yeah, it's, it's still interesting at the top. Cork on a really good run. Um, going well. Colin Healy has, has done a fantastic job down there. Um, and Galway will, will push them all the way. I say I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily write Waterford off yet. They have a bit of work to do, but... Um, you know, it's going to be exciting running in, the, in that division as well, yeah. Yeah, as you said, with Wexford, um, there was a period there before Waterford named their current manager, um, Searle, and brought him in that uh, Ian Ryan was being linked with that position, turned them down. Um, and when you look at the table, as you said there, they seem to be, they just seem to be in a pretty good place now, at least even in terms of trying to battle for those, um, you know, those uh, playoff places. Yeah, I, I suppose successful season for them is to be in the mix for those those playoff spots. Um, you know, so when I spoke about it, I said that they weren't going to win it or anything, but they'd like to think that they would make it difficult for teams around them and be in around. I suppose when the when the playoff spots go down that far, you still I suppose most teams in that division would think I might be able to nick fifth and we, we could be in with a chance here of getting into the playoff spot. And look, Wexford are in there at the moment and they're level on points with Treaty. So um you know, they'll, they'll be very happy with, their, with the progress. Ian Ryan, is, I think he's done a really good job there. But when you look at some of the players they have, you know, like Denny Corcoran and Jack Doherty and, and, you know, Connor Davis, and they'll get goals for you and they have a bit of quality there. So they'll always think if they've got a chance, you know, if they're in games. I think they've they've pushed the likes of Waterford and Cork and, and Galway in certain games. Um, so, you know, if, if they're on it, you know, they, they can give a game to anyone in that division. So, yeah, they'll, they'll be they'll be very happy with their position so far. But, yeah, there's a bit of work to go yet before, you know, they can secure or, or you know, get into those playoffs. Treaty will be will be hard to beat as well, um, especially down in in Limerick. You know, Longford, it, it looks at Longford and, and Waterford will, will get two of the spots anyway. So, yeah, it's still all the play for, as I said, Aaron. Um, you know, the, the, I say the interesting thing in that division when the playoff spots go down to fifth, you know, it's, uh, everyone still thinks, oh, we put a run together, we've got a chance of getting in there and it keeps it competitive. Yeah, and in the women's or women's um in the women's national league on Saturday, Athlone, who have been in great form this season, beat Cork City one 0 Wexford and Galway drew one one. So that's a bit of a blow for Wexford, who were chasing down Shelburne. Uh, Bohemians beat Sligo Rovers two one, and then Treaty United lost ten nil at home to leaders Shelburne. Noel Murray with four of those goals for Shelburne, who have bounced back in time after the the break because it looked like at that stage that uh just behind them Wexford and P-Mount were starting to close in a little bit but that's uh, momentum for Shelburne but let's turn to the European club or the Irish clubs in Europe this week obviously Shamrock Rovers um, against Hibernians of Malta which is going to be live on RT2 and the RT player on Tuesday from 7 o'clock so definitely worth tuning in for that so that's in the Champions League qualifiers uh, first round of that and um, I suppose before we get into all of that um, you know both of you have played in those types of European games back in the day. And I suppose looking at it, when you go back to, say, the mid-2000s and, you know, the level of scouting and things that existed, I mean, how much information did you tend to go in with about, especially the more far-flung teams, Graham? 
we started with videos uh, before we even got DVDs. Yeah, you just get clips of videos and we'd sit and watch them. And um, obviously, we we had ones at Longford. We went and played a team in Liechtenstein, which there wasn't um, much on at the time. I think it was FC Vaduce. And then a the couple of years later, then we had a lot of, we got a couple of Scandinavian teams. We got uh, HJK Helsinki and then we got OK Start and the, was a bit more footage on them. We had a lad that played with us that was from Scandinavia, Sammy Ristele. So he helped us out quite a lot in, in doing our um, analysis. The, the best thing that probably Paul done at that stage was Paul actually went and watched HJK Helsinki, one of the games. And he said, listen, the video looks different to what you're going to see in real life. And Ollie will tell you this more than me. He's played a lot more game, European games than me. What you see on the screen looks all right. And then when you get the, but it's a whole different, ball game when, when you're on the pitch with them that the, you, you get a sense of how they move and how they feel and it takes probably about 20 minutes for you to feel each other out in these games to see um, just basically who's who's the dangerous ones, who has that little change of pace, who has that little bit of vision that can hurt you as well. So you're constantly watching for what you've been shown but then you're also getting a feel of what actually are they strong, can you, can you close them down, can you pressure them, which ones do you jump on, which ones do you stand off. So Again, they just be feeling it out. There's a lot more coverage uh, in the games now, and I'm sure Rovers and Stephen would have done his homework on, on hips of Malta, but the players won't get a feel of them until they actually come face-to-face with them and see what they're like in person, and, and then they'll know, uh, A, what we can do. Can we you know, implement their game plan on them, and who we have to watch out for and what we have to be, be mindful of, really? Yeah, because uh, just uh, just on that as well. I mean, the, the famous Shelburne run from 0405. I was just looking at the the seedings and unseeded teams there, Ollie, um, from that from that European run. So just when you got to the final round of qualifiers, and obviously you got Deportivo, but I mean, there was Real Madrid sitting there, Manchester United, Liverpool, Juventus, Inter, PSV, Bayer Leverkusen. In a way, given I suppose there would be a bit more familiarity with those teams than say the likes of Hajduk Split, who you would have met. And beaten in the previous round, uh, you kind of go in with more of a feel when you're you're playing those bigger teams, I guess. Yeah, you do. But look, I suppose as Graham said, I, we always there's probably a fine line between enough information or too much, and not putting fear into players as well. I always felt that we had enough and we knew enough about the teams we were playing. Whether it was like the Deportivo, obviously there was loads of footage on that, and you knew what you were getting into with regards to. to I think we played Reykjavik in the first round and had you split. We we had info we got and, and normally someone from the club goes and watches them, watches them play and brings the info back and you have some footage and stuff as well. But yeah, I always thought we we had enough. Say sometimes you can overload players and maybe put a bit of fear into some of them. Um, but again, as Graham says, you can't be just getting out on the pitch and say those first 15, 20 minutes, you know. I remember when we were out and had you split, we scored after about two or three minutes and then it was, they bombarded us after that. We hardly got a touch of the ball and couldn't get out of our half. And, we're going, and it was just the pace, they moved the ball, the heat, everything. It's hard to factor all those in when you're actually sitting in a hotel watching watching the footage to actually getting out and playing them. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, it's a delicate balance, but 
Yeah, because if I recall, <laughs> there, there was an Irish fella, Alan Moore, who I would know quite well. Um, who I think was uh, helping you out at the time with uh, info. So yeah, he, he had some he had some connections out in Eastern Europe at the time. But uh, yeah, I was chatting to him a few years ago about that. So yeah, I, I, as I can imagine, and then obviously uh, both of you played uh, for Drada United then um, against Lavadia Talon. And I know in, the, in that kind of run, you also played Dinamo Kiev a little bit later on. You both scored in them. So in that first game, uh, the home game um, against Lavadia. Uh, Ollie, you I think you found the net like what do you remember of that yeah it was uh, a, a rare headed goal for me <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Dewey Bourne he might have actually been playing right back or something played play the ball in from, from that position and I just got just saw the ball and was like I'm winning this whatever just want to get my head on it from the edge of the box I couldn't actually believe we scored with my head from that far out but I think we conceded we conceded we were one down at that stage so yeah oh, my fault, he's, having, he's having a Roy smile there but, <laughs> uh, well, I've, never, I've never been more happy for you to score a goal and be like fault it was like oh yeah. Well, yeah it was it was a huge goal for us I think it was Trotted first goal in the in the Champions League as well, so you know it was big. It was a big thing for for the club for everyone for me as well. But it got, it got us back into the game and we won two one. And then I think you scored in the away leg. Like, yeah, right? I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was he was waiting to bring that up. Yeah, but you know to win home and away legs, you know, in the Champions League qualifiers is big. It, it, you don't take that for granted. Um, so. So yeah, and lethal, we lethal were, from that range, Alda. Lethal from two yards, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Graham, you got the so you got the winner away to Lavadia Talon in the second leg, and then against Dinamo Kiev, one of the best teams in Europe, as people know, big one of the biggest clubs in in Eastern Europe. Uh, you scored in the away game as well, and only narrowly missed out and going through. Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, again, the, the fourth we. The first half against them, they, they had a different way of playing and, and they, we played them in Daily Mount and, and it took us probably till half time to get the grips of what they were trying to do. And we were able to fix a few things at half time, even amongst ourselves and with Paul, obviously. Um, and we had a go at them for probably the first 20 minutes of the second half uh, at Daily Mount and we done really well. And then the last half an hour, they just went through the gears a little bit. And we were like, oh, like this is the, like Ollie said, they moved the ball, freedom of movement, fluidity, everybody taking different positions at different stages. Um, it was one of those, I remember my brothers were in the crowd going, uh, oh, that was ridiculously good what they'd done. And we were sort of hanging on then and they scored. Um, I think going out to Kiev, they probably thought, right, well, they got, they got enough of a fright, but. Uh, we had a really good game plan going out there. We'd done really well. We'd, we paced in our team at the time, which which really helped them. We'd legs in midfield with the likes of Ollie, uh, Shane Robinson, Keegan, Paul Keegan gave them an anchor, but Robbo and, and Ollie played like inside lefts and inside right. And they gave us a lot of energy and legs in the team. Um, but they scored a penalty. They, they, again, they went through the gears, they scored a penalty 2-1. And I think they just thought, that's us. These aren't scoring two. And then we nick one with five minutes to go. And then for the last five minutes, we've touched on this before, there's only one winner. Um, Robbo hits one across, Shane Robinson hits one across the goal, a bounce off the post and Ollie's there thinking if it comes back, it's his. He doesn't want to be in too early because we were told he can't be in. <laughs> so it, it just trickles across the goal. And then Adam Hughes has a fantastic chance because we put on Big Abraham and he caused him trouble. We're a little bit more direct. Keeper drops one and... and Adam probably should look at Ari in cold light of day. He should just get his knee over the ball and kick it into the ground. But he leans back a bit and it goes over. And they were blessed, like, and they knew it. And um, 
who were walking back. I played against the number nine up front, played against them in a couple of games. I was chatting to him, he was a nice fella. And I was walking by the dressing room and was meant to swap jerseys with me. And I opened the door and the manager was absolutely going ballistic at them, like, you know. And I think the following leg, they got Spartak Moscow and I think they, they beat them 9-0 on aggregate or something. I think we gave them a proper flight that year. And um, But again, you didn't realise how good they were until you actually went out and played against them. And as Ollie said, the pace they moved the ball, their awareness is just ridiculous. They're constantly looking for certain things. They had a lot up front. They had a, like, they were calling him the next Ibrahimovic. He had a little mullet and all. He was unbelievable. He just came off the game and just linked everything. I remember just thinking he was scared. He was one of the best players I played against at that time. But yeah, they were fantastic. But they were great experiences, even to sit and talk about them now. It's fantastic experience and something that even when you go away and play over in the UK or I played in Scotland, it's something that you miss. You miss them European games because like, it's they are, they're, um, they're a massive part of playing in Ireland. Yeah, I have um, to say though, you're on. Sorry, you're on about like preparation and getting info for the game. Remember after the first leg against Kiev, and Paul Doolan showed us the DVD yeah. back of the game and broke it down and identified weaknesses and stuff. And we actually went out to Kiev. Thinking, We've got a chance here. Yeah. And I know we were under pressure for a lot of the game, but we we kept believing and kept their shape and kept sticking to the game plan, and it worked. Yeah. And again, it was like the tactical knowledge of Paul Doolan and just the information he gave us without overloading us, but I felt we had a chance going out there. If we can carry out what he's asking us to do and say the more the game went on at the end, like there was only one team going to win it. Um, and it was, you know, that, that always stuck with me and uh, how good tactically Paul Doolan was and the information we got to go on out on the pitch and us carrying it out and going, we have a chance here. They, in fairness to their fans as well, Ollie, like they stood and clapped us off. Like, the, like yeah. the, you know, it was, it was one of those, they knew themselves that, like for what air budget compared to theirs was yeah. night, night and day, but they, they, yeah. they stood and clapped us off because they, they, they knew they, got, they probably got out of jail that night. Yeah, and uh, Shamrock Rovers will obviously be kicking it off in terms of the Irish clubs in Europe this season, as I said, on Tuesday, RT2 and the RT player from 7 o'clock. Hibernians of Malta, 13-time ch- champions of Malta, but had actually just ended a five-year title drought, and they did get to the third round of the Europa or the UEFA Europa Conference League uh, qualifiers last season. And uh, they have played Irish opposition a couple of times, Shelburne back in 2002 or three, and then Dundalk in 1979 80. So, not being accused, yeah. That was one of my worst experiences on a pitch, to be honest. That night against Hibs, uh, we drew two all away, and we knew we were a better team, but not taking anything lightly or for granted. The home leg. We were absolutely all over them and couldn't score. And then the 93rd minute, a guy, I think his name was Chuck Inori or something like that, scored. Their only attack, their only shot. And it was devastation. We, Bo Vista was, we were waiting in the next round, but 93rd minute, it was, oh, I haven't been in a dressing room like that after a game. I probably ever to say it was one of, my, one of the lowest points on a football pitch. What's the heat like out there, Alder? Yeah, it was warm. I think we played in the evening. Um, yeah, it took took a bit of getting used to. It, but again, you know, as you're saying, like the first 15, 20 minutes, getting getting a feel for it and just playing your way into it and not not doing anything stupid. Um, and I say we finished two all out there. Um, and we we knew we were a better side. 
um, after after the ninety minutes out there, and say not that we didn't take him lightly coming home because I say we should have we should have won four or five now. I also remember I think I might have floated a free kick in, and Jim Gannon beat the keeper to it, flicked it, and it was going into the net. And Trevor Malloy ran in and kicked it over the line, and he was flagged offside. If he hadn't touched it, the goal would have stood. Um, and that was just everything was kind of hitting the keeper and all that, and it was just uh, one of those nights. But yeah, I don't know the heat. The heat does take a bit of getting used to, but um, yeah, and look if, if for Rovers, you wouldn't you wouldn't take Atten for granted against them. I still think if Rovers are on it and at it over two legs, they should they should go through. But you still have to go and do a job, and just because they're from Malta, I wouldn't be overlooking them. And I know they have a few suspensions as well, um, but you'd still. I'm sure Stephen Bradley will have them well prepared for it, and you know, on the back of the disappointing maybe maybe from last year in Europe and the lessons learned that. You know, I, I fully expect Rovers to do the job over two legs. Are they in a little bit of pressure, under a little bit of pressure though, Graham? Just in terms of, as Ollie's just alluded to there, in terms of last season, there was a sense that they could have, you know, got to the Europa Conference League group stages, only that sort of kind of went wrong against uh, Flora Tallinn. And there's a sense this season, especially given they've two titles in a row, they're well on course for a third in a row, that really it's time to make a mark in Europe. Say pressure. I'd say that they're a little bit more determined, you know, because they, they obviously they, they hear the stuff around it, and there's a little bit more of a focus and a determination on it. Um, I know from talking to the players that uh, Stephen was touching on stuff in pre-season that he wanted to make sure it was implemented going into Europe about um, maybe having an extra midfielder, one of the centre backs becoming an extra midfielder uh, when they're defending and stuff like that. So. Just small little tweaks to make them more defensive minded when they're attacking. So, um, but I, I think he, I think there's a, there seems to be a, a real determination and focus on Europe for them this season. And like you said, I think Ollie's 100 percent right. They're not going to take that for granted here. Um, they're on a great run of form. They've won three games, two of them away from home. Um, they're throwing out results that that they're up in the game when they need to score and then seeing out games really well. They're a really mature outfit. Um, and I can see them, like you said, putting in a really good professional performance in both legs. Um, they'll know they'll, they'll have to perform in the home leg and then what they take away to the away leg then is 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 there. But um, I agree with Ollie, like they'll do the homework, there's a termination. There's always an extra bit of pressure when you play for Rovers in any way and these players are used to that. They've accepted it, and they've they they realised that it's, it's a privilege to have that pressure to be at a club like Rovers with what what comes with it, the fan base, the stadium, and the, and the ground. So they're fully they're fully aware of the pressure that comes, and they're able to handle that, and they would be able to handle this game as well. Yeah, I think you I, always have a pep in your step too, don't you, with the European games? Yeah. Like it just, there's just an excitement lift, to it. Yeah, if there, if there's a buzz around, an extra buzz, and you know media attention, and you know as a player you don't. So, well, I never looked at it as a pressure. Like you say, these are the games you want to play. And for lots of those players, they're probably not going to be playing international level football or anything. So this is the highest level that they will play at. And you're going, what an opportunity yeah. this is. There's an anticipation. You get, you get yeah. like, I Ollie used to laugh because I'd get giddy. Like, you know, I'd be like, I'd be, you know, I'd be singing the Champions League music and stuff. <laughs> Here we go, like you know. But it was more just there with just giddiness, like you know. I yeah. says, I says, Ollie's got to turn around one day and see me in the middle shaking the flag with the kids. <laughs> um, but it was just that excitement of playing in Europe and the unknown, and 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 then a, like an adventure, and it was just brilliant. And I think, like you said, the the buzz around it that that takes away any relieves any pressure going into it. 
Yeah, and you, as you said, the home leg, for, especially for this one, given Malta is the destination, it's massively important given, again, heat is always a bit of an outlier. You don't know how people really react to it. So tomorrow, tomorrow night, it's obviously vital for them to get a good crowd in, you know, unsettle uh, and unsettle um, uh, Hibernians as well and just try and gain some sort of advantage, especially probably more than a two-goal, if they can get a two-goal lead at least, I'd imagine, Graham. Yeah, I think they take what, what what's there for them. Um, Ollie was at the Bowls game. I was away, but like you said, they've been selling out a lot of home games this year. This will be another one. Um, it's the, the the atmosphere in the ground is fantastic. Um, the South Stand now and then now the new North Stand coming as well would make for a fantastic occasion. Um, but like you said, the the players are looking forward to it. They're looking forward to going out and performing. Um, they take what's there. That's that's the thing with football. You take what's there. If 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 they give you two or three goals, you take them. If they give you one, you take it. You make sure you're you're not giving up any other goals, really. Um, but no, I think they'd be okay. Like like you said, it'd be a great atmosphere in in Tala Stadium. Uh, like another another chance for them to go one step forward in the Champions League as well, because obviously they're going in at this stage and they've earned that because they're champions. So. Um, there is something building there at the club in terms of the attendances, and I think it's building all around the league. And it's great for every, it's great to see that the attendances are up and everybody's eager to get the games and they're looking forward to them. They're becoming events and they're becoming uh, places to be, really. And you hear people talking about going into the week, are you going to the game? Which game are you going to this weekend? And like you said, that goes towards building that industry that me and Ollie were talking about earlier on the show. Yeah, and Sligo Rovers then on Thursday are in Europa Conference League action. So they are playing Bala Town of Wales, uh, away leg first, and then bringing them to Sligo uh, and in the home leg. So Ollie, I mean, John Russell's only is only taking charge over the last three games or so. No defeats as of yet, a couple of wins, uh, particularly at home, and then um, a draw, Drada as well. I mean, just in terms of their own form, it's probably, and we'll probably say the same about Derry City very shortly, but it's key they're coming into it at least off the back of reasonably good form and not really conceding goals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you say they're Rovers, Derry and, and Sligo, you know, a couple of wins going, going into these European games, at least you can kind of park the league and not worry too much um, about it. Um John Russ has done a, a terrific job so far anyway. Yeah, I'm with them. Um, Shells are, you know, they're a tough team to come up against. So it was, it was a really good win for them on, on Saturday night. A couple of good goals. Um, Keane has gone down really well. I think 11 league goals, top scorer in the league. Great goal. That was the first one, a little link up with Mata. Um, his first goal, Keane's first goal, really good link up play and, and a great finish. Um, and they'll be they'll be going into the game in, in, in good spirit and good heart. Um you know, um, again, when you look at it, Ballatown in the Welsh League, um, you'd be hoping if Sligo, again, wouldn't take that for granted, if they can um, perform the way they can do over the two legs, um, you'd be you'd be expecting Sligo to, to hopefully go through. Um, and that, um, you know, Ballatown will be uh, in their pre-season as well. League hasn't started. Um, so, you know, that, that's always an advantage for our lads. But again, I suppose, look, in all of these as well, you probably... You're thinking of the other teams, they're probably going happy enough to be facing Irish opposition too, because you know that's that's where we're at. Um, you know, so they'll be looking at it going as an as an opportunity for for them as well. But you know, I say Sligo are in good heart, a uh, couple of good wins um going into the game. And yeah, you know, going away first leg, 
keep it tight. They say again, back to what we were saying, first 15, 20 minutes, feeling it out, seeing what it's like, seeing what the other team are like. It's like I might think, you know, fitness boys, we have an edge here. We might be able to up it a bit and see if they can they can stay with them. But you know, just bring it back to the showgrounds, get a good crowd then and you know, hopefully and um, be able to finish the job off at home. Yeah, and Bala and Hibernians, I think, as you said there, I mean, they're both sort of in between seasons. So um, I know um, Hibernians have been playing a few, uh, been playing a couple of friendlies recently because their season finished way back in May. So I think on that front, uh, Rovers have a little bit of an advantage in terms of match sharpness. But uh, Bala, uh, so far, they haven't won a two-legged European tie before. So they the only time they've gone through in Europe previously was during the, the COVID and fourth season where they beat Malta's Valletta over one leg um, and yet to win the Welsh League either. Now, Riga, who Derry City are playing, uh, they've been Latvian champions before. Not the oldest of clubs, only created in 2014 for a merger, but they have a lot more European pedigree. And I think they played Dundalk in recent seasons as well and got a, you know, just lost on penalties, actually played pretty well. Uh, let's listen to Rory Higgins because uh, obviously Derry have picked up just in time, as we've said, with Sligo Rovers. And uh, he was speaking to Eric White about uh, building into this European season now. And you've rediscovered that winning feeling again now. How important or what sort of a platform does this give you going into the European matches? Ah, it's great. We 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 lost our momentum and, and we've gained a wee bit of it back. And, and when that happens, you get your confidence back. And, and uh, ah, it gives us real confidence, hopefully, in front of an absolutely packed Brandywell and and all every, everyone in the Brandywell given letting their voices be heard and, and, and we'll need that on Thursday because we're playing against a really good team and uh, European nights in the Brandywell are special I've experienced them and, and hopefully there's more of the same and just finally was it good to get on to all back on the pitch again with the European matches uh, in mind great his experience is invaluable um, really invaluable and, and he's only 23 and but he's a he's a proper man he's a man and he stands up and when when you need someone to stand up, he's always the one that shines through. And no, it's great to have him back in the pitch. He's our captain. He's, he's a leader and uh, it's, it's a nice sight to see him back out in the pitch. Right, so that is Derry City manager Rory Higgins uh, just after the 3-2 win over Bohemians. So, um, Graham, as we said, similar to Sligo Rovers, I mean... Um, Although in a slightly different way, at least earlier in the season, Derry City were pushing for the league at one point and then slipped off quite badly. And it's just in those last couple of weeks, the victory over UCD previously, as narrow as it was, was vital. And they've been able to now just pick up that little bit of momentum and just in time for Riga, who's going to be a fairly big challenge for them. Yeah, I think that's probably the toughest one out of of three, um, where I state the obvious. Um, But I think... Dirty are looking at it, thinking, well, if if the, if if Dundalk can beat them or if Dock can push them, we can push them as well. So, um, it's just about performance and performance on the day from both sides. Um, I know they're Dirty are at home on the first leg. If we had it been the other way around, I probably would have fancied Dirty a little bit more. Um, if they were getting them back at the Brandywell for the second leg, I probably would have fancied them uh, maybe to go through on it. So it's a little bit tougher that they're, they're going away in the second leg. So you have to make sure they put in a performance in the, in the home game and see where it takes them. Um, they have got their form back a little bit. Um, it's been difficult because I think I think the uh, Blitz UCD at one stage and then they took four off Pats and it was like teams sort of went up and gave them a lot more respect and set in and it became difficult them to break teams down and um, when they were given the ball and teams were dropping off and it's something that 
they have to get used to if they're going to try and be the, the team that challenges Rovers, that they're the win games are expected to win, win games when teams are giving you an awful lot of respect and trying to catch on the counter-attack and learn how to really break down teams that are sitting in and playing a low block against you. And it's something that they, they have to adapt to. And that's what happens when you start becoming a better team and challenging other teams will probably give you a little bit more respect, well, a lot more respect. Um, but like you said, they scored three goals at the weekend. I know they're probably disappointed that they conceded two. Um, but it, it's just about how they perform on the night and that they, they know they're capable of it. And like you said, if the Brandywell gets rocking on, on a, or the McBride Stadium gets rocking on a, on a European night, it's a great place to be. Yeah, uh, St. Pat's also in Europe, but not quite yet. They're going to be awaiting the winner of Moldova's FC Svintul, Georgie versus and uh, Slovenia's Mura in the uh, second round. Uh, before we finish up, um, Stephen Kenny losing another coach, uh, Graham um, John Eustace going to Birmingham City. He's only been only been in the job four months, and this is a pattern now that we've seen. Anthony Barry obviously getting picked up by the Belgium national team. He's off to the World Cup, and then Damien Duff obviously left his position, and then some months later then took over at Shelburne. So again, it's it's not quite always going back to the drawing board because they have cer- certain structures in place, but it's obviously not ideal losing, you know, losing coaches like that. No, well, I, that's where I think Keith Andrews has probably been vital that he's the one mainstay that's there and then he can bring in another coach that walks alongside him and Stephen being the manager. So it's vital that Keith is, the, is probably the main voice and then, it just shows you he's picking good coaches if other people are coming in to take them for big jobs like um like the Belgian job and then he's gone into QP is he gone to Q which one's he gone to Birmingham? Sorry. Yeah, Birmingham. Yeah, and I think he was linked to the QPR job as well. So it just shows you that he's picking he's picking good coaches to come in. And like you said, he just has to go and find the, find another one to come in and, and try and help. And but once you said once Keith Andrews is the main voice and the main coach there, and whoever comes in to to help him. Um, if if they are interchangeable then that's the way it goes that's just the way football is sometimes it moves quick and some people have their own ambitions and that's what they want to do so but like you said you have the main bulk of the the staff is staying and if one coach becomes interchangeable then that's the way that's football yeah uh, before we get to the fixtures uh, Ollie just uh, when it comes to the Premier League we're still about a month away from the start of the season but there's a lot of deals and you know signings and things happening so Mo Salah uh, three-year deal for 350,000 a week um, something along those lines anyway um, uh, and he's going to be staying at Liverpool obviously they lost Sadio Mane they brought in Darwin Nunes then you see Spurs signing Richarlison from uh, Everton for 50 million and then I think today the Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal deal has also been confirmed and as well as that Calvin Phillips to uh, Manchester City so quite busy there I don't know like in terms of the shake-up and how you see these deals like who's uh, who's a little bit stronger and who's a little bit weaker how do you see it yeah it's uh, yeah interesting obviously interesting. sorry I just must add Mo Salah's bank account is probably stronger but in terms of the clubs <laughs> yeah absolutely it's oh, that, the money at, at that level is uh, uh, it's it's ridiculous, um, but uh, look, fair play to them. It's a short career, you know. They 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 certainly earn it. So, um, but yeah, no, it's you still got you can't look beyond. I think Liverpool, and Man City, um, the two of them, um, you know, Liverpool losing Mane, but brought Darwin Nunes in. So, um, and obviously Liverpool's recruitment over the last number of years has been top quality. So, um. If if that's under go by, you would imagine Nunes will hit the ground running. Um, 
you know, City have brought Haaland in, um, so something they've been missing for the last couple of years. So, um, you can't see anyone um, bridging the gap to the to the two of them at the moment. Um, be interesting to see if Ronaldo does go from United as well. So that's a big talking point as well. Arsenal strengthening with with Gabriel Jesus. Um, and I think they're after centre back. Is it that United are in for as well? So, um. Yeah, it's going to be much of a much as I think, as I say, it's City and Liverpool and then the rest in the bunch behind them. But, um, you know, it's with July, you know, and, and the window opening up, you know, all these announcements and signings. And, you know, it's it's always fun to sit back and watch it unfold. But um, with me being a United fan, I'm looking at them and going, it's going to be interesting. You know, there's, there's good vibes coming, coming out of the camp with Ten Hag. But it's interesting as well to hear them Maybe it was a bit loose up to now and the, and the coaching side of things and, you know, just some of the vibes coming out. You're wondering at a club like that, how it could get to that point if, if it's true. And Ten Hag has come in and, you know, being a bit stronger and being on the players a bit more, which you would expect at a top club like that. You know, you would have expected that to be the way. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how who they can bring in. And, um, you know, I think they should be going down the route of bringing in young, hungry players who want to play for Man United and build from there. Um, and, and see where it gets them but yeah as I say it's going to be I think City and Liverpool again and I, I can't see anyone breaking the, the strangle hold the two of them having it Yeah Ronaldo not young but very much hungry as we've seen throughout his career Graham I mean when you look at it from Ten Hag's point of view he's not a player you're going to be able to build on or build around in the, the long term unless he's planning to play till he's like 40 or 42 but obviously he's not going to be the force of old also you're sacrificing structure in a team when you have a player like him as much as he does deliver goals with relative regularity. So from Ten Hag's point of view, do you think maybe privately there's a point where he's kind of, he would be happy to see Ronaldo go and then be able to build on younger, maybe, fresher yeah, talent? Now he, can, now he can put his own players and his own team in place, like you said, and he goes off the wage bill, Pogba's off the wage bill. That's two big earners. You know, Pogba was on, I think he was on 350 as well. And then if Ronaldo would have been the highest paid player, because I, th- I think they got him uh, quite cheap enough in Juventus, so he would have been the highest earner as well. So you're getting two big hitters off your wage bill and gives you a chance to build. You're, you're never going to have a quick, you're never going to get a quick fix uh, at a club that is, is going to try and compete with a team like Liverpool or Man City who've been built up for the last five seasons. So you're not going to, whatever you do in one season isn't going to undo five years of their work and five years of your bad work. So it does need to be a new approach of, right, we're going to sign 22, 23-year-olds and in three years' time, they're going to mature into high quality experienced players and some of them are going to be world class and then some of them are going to be workers that that help carry the world class players at vital times and that's that's what being a part of a football team is about but I think for the last few years you know they've just been looking for quick fixes and patching things up and again if the patches aren't probably put on properly or in, in the right place it's going to leak again and that's what's happened where I think Ten Hag's come in and realised if I'm going to build something, it has to be built from probably the ground up again and um, put structures in place that you're signing young players and making them better and developing them. I think sometimes they're trying to sign the finished article. Very hard thing to do. Um, You see it with Liverpool players. I think the only finished articles he really probably signed was Van Dijk, um, where he was on his way to being the best centre-back in, in the world and then he, he does that at Liverpool because he's in the top team but the rest of them have all been worked being really good players 
I haven't seen United do that with many players in the last few years. And the same with Man City. They've signed good players, but they've, they've, they've gone on to another level uh, since they've been at City. And that's be interesting to see what happens with Haaland once he comes in too. Yeah, and then one final move, um, which is more Irish-related, Gavin Kilkenny, who has gone on loan from Bournemouth to Stoke now. So last season, he got a lot of game time, first half of the season. Second half of the season, not so much. Now, Bournemouth, of course, up in the Premier League now, where obviously we've a goalkeeper we'll be keeping an eye on, and Mark Travers there, and you know he looks like he'll be number one, signed a long-term deal as well. So that looks positive. But for Gavin Kilkenny, I don't know how much you've seen of him, Graham, but... Um, Obviously, getting a move down to the championship where hopefully he'll get more regular game time will be beneficial for him. And then we've seen him with the under 21s. He's, you know, he's he's definitely got talent. And then hopefully that's another option in an area of the pitch where maybe Ireland aren't as strong in terms of strength and depth. Yeah, look, he's at an age where you just want to play as much football as you can and get as many games under your belt. And that's how you build your experience and that's how you build your career, really. Um, like you said, he's he's just his team has just gone up and he's gone He's gone back down to the division that he's just came out of. So he'll feel confident in the fact that he can go and play there and make an impact at Stoke. And obviously with Michael O'Neill in there and Andy Cousins is in there as well. So he'll have a lot of Irish people around him too. Um, so yeah, it, like it, these, all these lads are trying to push and, and make a, a career for themselves and try and get into the senior squad as much as they can. And you have to be playing games to do that. And this gives Gavin a chance to go and play games. Yeah, and before we go, just the fixtures domestically um, coming up uh, over this next weekend. So UCD against Bohemians on Thursday at 7.45 and then on Friday, Shelburne against Finn Harps and then Drawdy United against Dundalk and then the first division at Lone Town against Bray Wanderers, Galway against Cove, Treaty United against Longford Town, Waterford against Wexford and they're all 7.45 kickoffs and then in the Women's National League on the 4th of July, I was seeing tonight, <laughs> basically DLR waves against uh, P Mount United, and P Mount will be looking to at least try and keep the chase up against Shelburne and Wexford as well. But that brings us to a close. As I've said earlier, Shamrock Rovers against Hibernians of Malta, seven thirty or seven o'clock, sorry, on Tuesday um, on RT two and the RT player, and then the following night at seven thirty, it is the start of the Women's Euro twenty twenty two, which will be England versus Austria at Old Trafford. So a whole major tournament all 31 games live on RT television over the next month but that brings us to close Graham and Ollie enjoy watching the European games and uh, we'll, be, we'll be back next week pleasure thanks Ross <laughs>